Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. This week's episode of the Show Before the Show podcast, the official podcast of Minor League Baseball. We've got a uh, a packed group, a packed house, a packed uh, show for you today. I am joined by my two cohorts, Benjamin Hill and Samuel P. Dykstra. Uh, gentlemen, Sam's already shaking his head at me in annoyance. Uh, hello. Hi, Sam. I'm, I'm glad this is a, an audio podcast in many ways, <laughs> uh, so people can't be seeing what I'm doing. Sam made a vulgar right gesture toward me. Yes, fill in the blanks for uh, those adults of you at home. And if you're a kid at home listening, welcome to the show. Don't worry about it. Um, but yes, my last, or my middle name is Collins. As always, it's still Collins. It has always been Collins since the day I was born in 1990. Uh, but it is. I, oh, look at me. I was born here. in the 90s, man. <laughs> yes, that's how I get back at you guys. I'm just going to remind you that I am a 90s child. Uh, and in, I, I'm still in my low 30s i do love though of all of the inside jokes we've ever come up with on this podcast this is the one that people have have globbed onto the most i hate it so much people i love i love this podcast and the community around it and everybody who's you know joined us through minor league baseball but i i hate nothing more than this part of it well you can thank our our good buddy josh jackson uh as we uh as we welcome in ben as well ben what's going on how are you i'm doing all right um you know i'm a child of the 70s so it does hurt to say to hear uh, Samuel P over there talk about being a child of the '90s. I mean, I'm a child of the late '70s, but still, it's disconcerting to realize we have a whole decade between us, the entirety of the Reagan administration. Which is that's how I'm doing. I'm doing all right. Yeah, I get to be the the pivot baby yeah. in the middle in in '85, a geriatric millennial, as we were deemed this week, uh, according to I don't know somebody on Twitter. Um, well, hey, welcome into this week's episode of the show. Before the show, we got so much coming up for you today. We will check in with the uh, the uh, one of the heads of the latest minor league thing to go viral, which is the beer bats in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina at the uh, the home of the Myrtle Beach Pelicans and how it is uh, that the Pelicans got to go viral with a thing that other minor league teams have been doing for years and Myrtle Beach gets to cash in on it this week. We'll check in with Ryan Moore, the GM uh, and vice president of the, uh, or in team president, I should say, of the Myrtle Beach Pelicans coming up here in a little bit. Uh, but we got a lot more to get to on the show today. Ben is with us right out of the gate as we dive into some things newsworthy and noteworthy across the minor leagues. And uh, there's some very good stuff to touch on we're going to talk about a, a hudson valley 
Uh, I don't even want to say mishap because I think they they turned a little bit of, of chicken droppings into chicken salad the other day. Uh, we'll talk about that. But we're going to start talking about Beloit. We haven't really checked in with the Beloit snappers a ton uh, in recent weeks because it's a, a situation where so much is changing in Beloit for the better. There's a brand new ballpark that will be open uh, coming up next season for the Beloit snappers, who we anticipate will also have a new identity as well. Beloit is in this transitional time where uh, that's a franchise that if not for that new ballpark may not have continued to host minor league baseball in Beloit, Wisconsin. And instead they are embarking on a new era very soon, but this is an interesting year for Beloit because they are saying goodbye to an old era. Well, kind of, on the pause button, I guess, uh, Beloit playing in its old ballpark right now. Um, still called the snappers. We're anticipating a rebrand at some point, probably over this off season, but they did a very cool thing coming into this year, which was they were going to be selling naming rights on a game to game basis. And we kind of mentioned this, I think a few months ago, but Ben's got a story coming to the sites about, uh, how that's been going in Beloit. Ben, give us the, the update of what this season has been like so far for the snappers and their community. Yes, Tyler. Like you mentioned, they're moving to new, uh, snappers are moving to a new ballpark later this season. The exact date has not been set up, but they began 2021 at their home for 40 seasons, Pullman Field, a uh, rustic facility, we, we will call it. And um, a lot of memories there, but obviously they're excited to go to a new park. But in the interim, in these couple months, they began their home season on May 11th and uh, beginning May 12th and through the entirety of the rest of their stay at Pullman Field, before they move to the new ballpark, they are auctioning off naming rights to the ballpark on a one day per game basis. Uh, it's a minimum bid of $500. You can quote unquote, buy it now for a thousand and uh, proceeds. It's a partnership with the local boys and girls clubs. So there's a good charitable angle and um, totally unprecedented. I think in the world of sports to offer a one day naming rights um to fans and basically anyone who wants to do it. Yes, there's some fine print in terms of exactly what you can name the ballpark. I mean, use your imagination. You can't just pay $500 and get some uh, profane stuff out there. But beyond that, you know, there's a lot of leeway for the name of the ballpark from night to night. And uh, as part of the story, uh, I spoke with a man named Bob Graff, who last week, he and his wife and his brothers uh, he lives in North Carolina. His brothers are in Florida and Kentucky. They'd never been to Beloit, any of them. But Bob Graff, a big baseball fan, saw this deal that the Snappers had. Said, "I want to play in a. I want to go see a game in a ballpark named after me." And he brought him, him, and a group of eight friends and family to Beloit. They all went to Beloit for the first time so they could witness a game at the Bob, the ballpark named after him, Bob Graff. And uh, so you get the you get to spend a day in a ballpark named after you, you know, there's temporary signage, you know, big tarps out front and on center field that say the name of the ballpark that day. And uh, you get to throw out a first pitch. However, first pitches work in this COVID reality, but some sort of first pitch, um, you know, participate in between inning contests, uh, do an interview on the radio, just have a day all about you at the ballpark as it carries your name or whatever name you decided you wanted the ballpark to be named. So some, you know, local businesses or not even local businesses are, you know, buying the ballpark naming rights for a day to promote a business. Some are doing it in honor of a you know, deceased family or friend. Some are naming it after themselves. Uh, so there's a lot of angles here and one we might return to, but a total uh, unique thing to name the ballpark after yourself for a minimum bid of $500 uh, in Beloit this season. Yeah, and that, that's a good tease for a podcast segment that you guys might be hearing 
here in the future uh, about Beloit and the naming rights. Uh, ben, I want to pivot to this story you have on MILB.com right now. Thankfully, we haven't had any technical mishaps on this podcast yet, knock on wood, uh, but the Hudson Valley Renegades had their own technical difficulties over the weekend uh, when their video board just went down, like the computer connected to it. They weren't able to use the graphics that they normally use and become a staple of, of minor league games across the country, um, but they got to improvise. They, they did find a way around this. What can you tell us about their video board meltdown up there in uh, Hudson Valley? Yeah, this happened over the weekend at Dutchess Stadium, home of the Hudson Valley Renegades, who are now High A, affiliate of the Yankees. Um, you know, I went into Monday being like, I'm going to write this story on Beloit. But over the weekend, you want to make sure you know all the crazy stuff that happened. And uh, one of the things that happened was Myrtle Beach and the Beer Bats. And that segment is coming up. And the other thing I was like, I got to cover in some way, shape or form was these technical difficulties in Hudson Valley, where basically the computer that serves as the hub for all the video board graphics and video did not work. So the team was unable to do anything on their video board that they would normally do. But the video board itself still worked and they realized they could just set up a live feed uh, from a suite and broadcast that to the video board. So over the course of Saturday and Sunday's games, the Hudson Valley Renegades just set up a whiteboard, updated the score and strikes and balls and everything else on a whiteboard, did all sorts of like absurdist sight gags, dance cams, um, just you know, people coming in and out of the suite for various reasons, special guests, planned and unplanned. Uh, just one of those quintessential only in minor league baseball moments where, you know, you wake up on Saturday and you're just like, oh, no, our score, our video boards on the fritz. We can't use it. This is a disaster. And then being like, OK, here's what we can do and we can embrace it. We can have fun. And uh, I think they did have a lot of fun with it. And um, I would encourage everyone to check out that story on MILB.com because Talking about it doesn't do it complete justice. You need to see some of these videos and uh, pictures of what the game day presentation was like in Hudson Valley over the weekend. And it was great talking to the staff and uh, getting a sense of what they did because uh, everyone just said after they got over the initial uh, sense of doom, we're just like, this is actually really fun. And I think by the time the weekend ended, they wouldn't have traded the experience for anything. Uh, just getting to improvise like that over the course of a weekend, be creative, embrace the absurd, have fun and do the entire game on a whiteboard broadcast live to the video board. Absurd stuff. Absurd stuff is uh, one of my favorite things about minor league baseball. That's like a, it's like an old time, like late night TV thing. Uh, that Hudson Valley story, which I love. Just let's throw stuff out there and see see what's going to work. Um, and a very fun uh, piece of the early craziness of minor league baseball just over a couple of weeks into the season. And we've got another one of those things, which is in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, the beer bats of the Myrtle Beach Pelicans went mega viral this week. This caught me very off guard because other teams have been selling these beer bats for the last few years. Uh, and I think in the minor league world, we just kind of think like, oh yeah, that's a thing that exists. And you sort of forget about like in the outer sports world, people aren't necessarily aware of all of these things. And this blew up. There was a tweet about the Myrtle Beach Pelicans uh, baseball bat uh, beer containers i guess uh the vessels by which you can uh you can drink at a pelicans game that just went insane on the internet this way did this surprise you guys the way that it kind of surprised me that this went so big well it surprised me but in a way it didn't surprise me because writing about minor league baseball for so many years and sometimes in a little bit of a i try not to be a, a jerk about it but sometimes a little territorial there's been so many times i've covered something and 
it hasn't gotten that much play. And then through some other circumstance, what I've already written about blows up. And I'm like, you just should have read me. Why don't you make me go viral at once instead of you hacks at whatever website stealing my work, or if not stealing it, just finding it elsewhere, not realizing it. So much of it flows from the source, me. Just kidding. But uh, Kind of, but not really. Kind of, not really, but no, really. Um, <laughs> it is totally random. The internet is random and uh, you never know what's going to blow up when. And it's just like a variety of crazy factors that made it this one blow up. And uh, I think it's a really fun story. Yeah, I think it, it is such a reminder of how much like minor league baseball is expansive. It goes coast to coast, obviously. Um, you know, we, we've talked so much about how there's different pockets and everybody gets to specialize in a thing. But there are certain things that are just like minor league baseball across the board. And it is still a small community in many ways. And sometimes things eke out like we, we talked about beer bats what was it 2018 was like the first one you've ever really heard of this before and um, I first heard about it in Hartford I think a lot of people first heard about it in Hartford but then all of a sudden when the bigger community like bigger baseball community and then bigger sports community and then bigger online community catches on with it it is kind of fun just to see it catch on in that way and, and see minor league baseballs celebrated for being something that to us feels normal uh, and it is a nice reminder I think to the general public that stuff like this happens literally all the time like this, a beer bat is special in this way, but it's not special to a minor league park. You're always going to find something like it. it. Even if it's not just a big tube of beer, there's going to be something special at that ballpark that will open up eyes everywhere else. So hopefully this is a nice reminder for folks who aren't as dialed into the minor league universe as we are. And maybe listeners of this podcast, but um, you know, this interview we're, we're about to uh, have with Ryan Moore, I think was a really fun one for that reason. He is the team president and general manager of the Myrtle Beach Pelicans, Ryan Moore, who joins the show to talk about his team's viral fame from the last few days. Coming up next. Here at the Show Before the Show podcast, we are delighted to have Myrtle Beach Pelicans president and general manager, Ryan Moore, with us, who is enjoying a... uh, flirt with viral fame and it's been a uh, crazy beer bat beer bat saga going on in myrtle beach this week uh ryan thanks for joining the podcast oh, thanks for having me guys and where to begin you have gone massively viral due to the fact that you sell beer bats at the ballpark which is what they sound like it's a glass of beer shaped like a baseball bat uh how long have you been selling beer bats at the ballpark we introduced them about three years ago um 2019 season so yeah this this whole viral thing has kind of caught us by surprise uh we've had them for years right and i've seen them around the miners for years they haven't gone viral but it looks like uh was this on uh, over the weekend on friday night saturday um there was a tweet that said oh saturday night there was a tweet by a twitter user named brian kerp who said uh it's Thirsty Thursday, and also they have beer bats, and these are great. And then Talking Baseball, John Boy, John Boy Media jumped on and said, hey, it's Thirsty Thursday, and they sell them in these bats, which wasn't entirely correct. You could get the discounted Thirsty Thursday beer, or if you wanted, spend more money for a beer bat. But for whatever reason, that tweet went absolutely viral. Last time we checked, it had like 40,000 likes. So kind of take me through this process where you're just having another night at the ballpark and then all of a sudden something you've offered for years 
goes totally wildly viral. Yeah, it was it was wild. Uh, you know, the, the tweet did go out and it, it referenced two separate promotions that we have going on. We do the dollar beers as part of Sipping Saturdays now. Uh, we've always had it uh, as Thirsty Thursday, uh, but we also offer the the beer bats for fifteen dollars. And uh, through the power of social media and you know that game of telephone, the the message got a little uh, misconstrued throughout the process, and and people thought we were selling the bats filled with beer for a dollar. You know that that probably helped or hurt whatever way you want to look at it, uh, getting that that message out and. Like you said, just a, a handful of outlets put it out. Uh, you know, it was a beautiful day here on Saturday. We typically don't play day games, so having a blue background is a uh, is is a really rare coming from our ballpark. So it just was, looked like a you know great picture, perfect day. You know, we saw that tweet. It went you know semi viral, I'd say, uh, on Saturday, and we had a we had a handful of people reach out to us and say, hey, uh, how how can I buy it? We said, well, you can only buy it in park. It's, you know, not a licensed item that we can offer for retail sales. And, you know, that then that led into, uh, you know, what happened on Sunday and kind of just everything exploding. Yeah. And let's get into what happened on Sunday. Like how quickly when you guys realized that momentum was picking up and it was starting to go far and wide because of all the reasons you mentioned, I love that you mentioned it, it was a picture perfect day for you guys on Saturday, but at what point did you guys go into planning mode of like, okay, this is the thing that's been around for a long time, but how can we spin this to get even more promotion for ourselves beyond just the tweet? I was sitting in, in my office and uh, I think a lot of you guys know Hunter. He's our director of fan engagement, uh, runs our social, and then also our in-park entertainment on the ground floor level. We're sitting in here just kind of going back and forth and, you know, popped in my head. I said, you know, what we could do is people can just Venmo me 25 bucks I'll go grab a beer, drink it for them and, and send them um, my game use back. And, you know, just thought it'd be a little fun, you know, social play. Uh, we're like, you know, maybe it'll, maybe it'll take off. Maybe it won't. And by take off, we're like, you know, if we can sell 10 bats, that would be awesome. And, you know, we quickly realized we, we underestimated uh, what, what was coming our way. So let's just throw that out there. If you, if you're okay with this, cause this is a tweet yeah. you guys have sent out. Your Venmo is Ryan Moore eight four three. Ryan um, dash Ryan dash Moore dash eight four three. Right. And so this was it was literally less than an hour before uh, the game was going to start. It was about you know fifteen minutes before our gates were going to be opening up. And I said you know let's do it. Uh, we have a beach area down in the ballpark. It wasn't wasn't running for that night. So I said go ahead like let's get like a little you know set up down there. We'll put a chair down get some of our inflatable stuff make it look pretty and you know i'll go down there and i'll i'll, I'll drink a beer to start the game and see if uh see if anybody wants to buy it and, and when you said you said you're you were planning on 10 how many have you guys get gotten like how quickly were they coming in literally as we're talking more and more are are coming through um you know we're looking probably approaching close to 600 right now it's going to be a long season for me. <laughs> I was going to say, so is the plan still that you are going to consume all of these? And how long is that going to take? I have to. <laughs> if I didn't, that would break licensing rules. So I have to drink the beer out of it. And then it's just a game used beer bat that I'm selling. Uh, I, I don't, you know, 600 beers, like that's two a day, every day 
for a year almost. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I'm going to have to call in some, you know, reinforcements. So if you, if you guys want to come down and take in a game and, and we can, uh, we can have some nice ice cold Bud Lights and, and send those out, you know, I'm definitely, definitely finding out that you know, I'm in over my head. So as, as long as we buy the bats, we drink the beer and we send them out, everything's good. Brian, for the, the designation of it as game used is kind of fun too. Uh, are you signing these? Are you including any sort of personalized uh, message to the people who buy them from you? Yeah, uh, I'm only signing them uh, upon request. We, we have had a handful of requests. Uh, I'd hate to tarnish someone's bat with my terrible name and signature on it uh, if, if they don't want it. But yeah, the, the next iteration, and we haven't talked about this with anybody yet, but so you guys uh, first to hear breaking news. It, we're going to put like a little message into the bottle that, you know, thanks them for their, their service, if you will. And, you know, encouraging them to take a picture and, you know, tag us and, and do, do everything that you would imagine. But then we'll also follow up with everybody. And we're once, once we get through the 600 beers being drank and, and have them all out in market, we're going to set up a zoom call for everybody and we'll do a virtual uh, beer bat cheers for, for the beer bat nation. The moment in which this comes about is is really cool because uh, obviously it's been a very difficult year plus for for everybody and especially for minor league baseball franchises and um, to be in a circumstance where you now are you know six hundred bats times twenty five dollars is fifteen thousand dollars like that's no that's no uh, slouch of an effort. Um, what does it mean to have something that? Uh, you see the, you know, the community, not just the, the community of, of Pelicans fans in Myrtle Beach, but, you know, nationally, uh, this thing going so big, you know, it turns into something that actually substantially could have an impact uh, in a, a way in which you did not foresee. That's got to feel pretty cool right now. Yeah, it was it was it was like perfect. Like like you referenced, you know, it's been a it's been a tough year and it's been a grind for a lot of people uh, on our staff. And, you know, every every time you turned around, you know, something something bad happened. Um so we, we got getting into the homestand, obviously, you know, it was a, a labor of love and, you know, getting the first six games under our belt and, you know, going through the new protocols and the, and the new system that we're under, you know, it was stressful for our staff. We had a really, really good opening week, uh, but, you know, I could see kind of the drain that, that, that six games in the months leading up to it have had, but having this kind of viral sensation cap the homestand just kind of injected that energy and like people were just having fun. Like, it was like, holy cow, Dan Patrick just picked it up. Uh, oh, I heard you on MLB Network Radio. And, you know, people from all across the country, you know, you reference, you know, nationwide sales. We've we've had international sales. And, you know, I'm sitting on the beach in the eighth inning, you know, six beer bats deep. And we're getting messages from people in Australia. Be like, will you, will you send us a bat in Australia? And, uh, you know, I'm already six deep. So I'm like, yeah, we'll send them anywhere in the world. You, you send me 25 bucks and I'll send you a bat, you know. I, I have zero idea how how much it costs to ship a bat to Australia. It could cost more than $25 for all I know, but hey, it's, it's all about the fun. And Ryan, um, you mentioned, you know, nationally viral, globally viral. I saw that Budweiser, like literally just Budweiser at Budweiser on Twitter was tweeting about you and saying, you know, all ballparks should have a beer bat. Uh, locally, there's now a, uh, a billboard I saw you guys tweet that says Myrtle Beach Pelicans, home of the beer bat. 
Um, for all the teams that have been selling beer bats for years now to just kind of moderate success, no big deal. Have you been hearing from, uh, you know, friends and coworkers in the industry, like, yeah. give me a break, <laughs> man. We've been selling these too. Why do you have all the luck? What's it been like, uh, that sort of reaction to this just absolute craziness? It's, just, it's kind of all in good fun and jest. It's like, everyone knows that, you know, it was just a stroke of luck, uh, completely organic, nothing that we did on our end to try to, you know, trump up the fact that we have beer bats, you know shame on us we should have done that a while ago um but yeah we kind of just fell into the moment and yeah leaning into it having fun the even like the billboard company you know we didn't call them they they called us yesterday and said hey we've got some open spots on our digital channels can you send us some some images we, we think this is a ton of fun so you know having good partners that you know buy into what we're doing here at the ballpark and then spread it across town you know even sunday in park you know, we, we may have sold, you know, 10 beer bats on a good night. So we, we still had 50 in stock and we sold out all 50 uh, by the fifth inning. So you're, you're starting to see the energy towards them on in-park sales as well. So like you said, Tyler, you know, we'll, we'll continue to lean into it and, you know, try to make it a, a difference maker for us. And I guess to kind of wrap this, is, is there any takeaway from this? Like, is there any way you can reproduce this? Not necessarily with a beer bat, but with something else? Like, or is this just, you know, getting something right in the right place, being Myrtle Beach, being, like you said, in a sunny place, being able to, to get a good viral picture out, out of there? Like, is there any potential roadmap now to replicating this with a second item? No, no. It's, <laughs> you know, it's completely a stroke of luck. Like, there was just a ton of factors that kind of came together and, you know, why it happened and how it happened is something like, I think if we tried to replicate, it would come off as, you know, kind of Bush league. I don't know. It just, it's gotta be organic. You can't, you can't force the hand, you know, that being said, uh, will, will we be offering different designs on uh, additional beer bats in the future? Probably, you know, will we try to make it a collector series and, you know, slow release and have our different logos on some bats moving forward? Probably, you know, we talked with uh, Sam uh, at, the beer bat company who uh, is, is the one who produces these. And, you know, he was saying even his sales, he, he sold out of all of his uh, direct to consumer online yesterday or Sunday night into yesterday. He's getting a ton of calls from teams across minor league baseball. Uh, also uh, international teams, uh, Australia, California have been reaching out to him. So it's been awesome to see that he's also uh, having a lot of good success out of it. He's a, he's, been a great guy we you know we've known him for for years now so really happy to see his success as well ryan i just want you to mail me one along with a bubba's kicking chicken and fries from dagwoods please i i can i can do that okay. my venmo is ryan dash more dash eight four three and that'll be 32 dollars the you perfect you callback yeah, i have to cover my meal as well right yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I'll get to the Dagwoods. That's on yes. me. Yes. We had we had a crew of uh, the Bumsteads uh, out here on opening night. Their bartenders put together a little party bus. I shouldn't say little party bus. They had a hundred plus people. So uh, as you can imagine, it was a it was a really fun crowd to to get the season kicked off with. I moved away from Myrtle Beach ten years ago, and I still think about uh, Bubba's kicking chicken sandwich probably once a month, if not more. So I, I get yeah, it. You got to come back and visit, man. I do. I very much do. Well, Ryan, dash more, dash eight, four, 
three. Thank you very much for uh, joining us on the show before the show podcast. Best of luck with your uh, increased uh, Budweiser consumption this year. And, um, you know, ridiculous and random or not, congrats on the success uh, to start the season. I know everyone's looking for victories right now, and this is a fun story to cover. So thanks for being here. uh, Thanks. And, you know, definitely want to give a hat tip to our, our social team. I've mentioned Hunter earlier but you know i i think you guys probably agree he you know he's one of the best in in all the minor leagues and you know without having you know people that understand the internet and understand social you know none of this would have taken off the way it did so complete total team effort but you know our social team is definitely the ones to wear the crown on this one absolutely well thanks for being here and shout out to hunter and everyone who did great work on that and uh have fun drinking yeah come on come on down and help me out please <laughs> It's a new format of this show before the show podcast where we can just spring three strikes on you at any point. We had our opening segment with Ben, then we talked with Ryan Moore, then bam, three strikes coming at you in segment number three as we, uh, big thanks to Ryan Moore, who is fantastic. Uh, Ryan-Moore-843 on Venmo. You could probably just send him money. Like, I don't even know if you need to request. (laughs) You just want to give Ryan money. I'm sure he'd take it. I would take it. Well, there was this... You probably heard my hesitation in the last segment about like giving out his Venmo because (laughs) I don't know if you heard this story, but like people have found Joe Biden's. Yeah. Yeah. That was a, who was that? Vox. So uh, there was a publication that like very easily evidently tracked down the Venmo of the president of the United States. And they were like, "Eh, that's probably not a real good thing for Venmo security. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I, I get like Venmo, you can request $5,000 from whoever you want. That's right. They're going to send it to you. Right. But the fact that it's, that much easy of a click to send yeah. somebody five thousand dollars a little worrisome yeah yeah but and also ryan just like game. everything is public on there so i guess you could just go find ryan and see the laundry list of people requesting beer bats i mean that'd be kind of cool but i do fear for ryan's liver uh as he needs to consume at least 600 beer bats uh from now until you know whenever and i know that he could deputize members of the front office in order to help him out with that but i believe they did say in the tweet that ryan would consume the beer and send you his game used beer bat so like i'm not i'm not signing up for a dan bailey game used beer bat who's the the head of the pro shop in myrtle beach come on dan i'm not doing that (laughs) no i would i would love a dan bailey customized beer bat and please ryan if you're listening you and Dan can both drink a beer bat and send it to me. I'll Venmo you. I was going to say, you get, you sounds like you're going to be the person who's going to request multiple signatures on this, not just Ryan's. I just very much, uh, I miss Dan Bailey. He's a, he's a very good man. And uh, so with that, we'll pivot into some baseball conversation here for three strikes on this week's episode of the show before the show. I'm taking care of my dad's dog. Um, I don't know if you can see her, Sam. She's throwing her, her head under my hand. In order to get pets. There she is. Oh, um, there we go. It's very good on an audio only format when you draw attention to visual things that people can't see. But uh, let's dive in. There have been some very interesting and weird trends across the minor leagues through the first couple of weeks of this uh, MILB season. And one of them is kind of a throwback sort of thing. And Sam's got a story that is up now about the rise of stolen bases across the minor leagues. This is one thing that speaks to a larger conversation, I think, not only in baseball, but in sports, which is that everything is cyclical in sports. Yes, we are currently in this era of three true outcomes and nobody wants to, you know, risk anything on the bases. And uh, it's just home runs and strikeouts and walks and all of that. 
everything in sports is on a pendulum and it all swings back at some point or another stolen bases have largely fallen out of favor across baseball in recent years. Maybe we are starting to see a trend where because of that teams are putting a little bit more emphasis on being able to run. Sam, what have you found in, in putting this story together? Well, I think, yeah, your idea about it being a, a pendulum is obviously true, but also this is like MLB has kind of pushed the pendulum in a certain direction here because the two levels I'm going to focus in on where there's been the biggest jump in stolen bases are high A and low A. And for those of you who remember at the beginning of the year or anybody who's been to a high A or low A game uh, to start 2021 knows that there have been rule changes uh, at those two levels. At high A, pitchers now have to fully step off the rubber before they're allowed to attempt a pickoff. So we get no, no more of this you know, motion like Andy Pettit, who is a master of the pickoff could pick up his leg, make you think he's delivering home, but he's actually stepping towards first. You get picked off. So because of that, guys are able to get a little bit more comfortable with their leads because they know the second you step off the rubber or the second you start moving towards home, you're definitely throwing it uh, either direction. It's a little bit more predictable. That means stolen bases should be a little bit easier. At low A, they've limited uh, pickoffs to only two. Uh, you can only throw over twice. If you attempt a third, if it's successful, you're fine. But if it's not... You, uh, you get charged with a Bach and the guy gets to go advance base anyways. Um, so again, once you throw over twice, the guy at first base basically has free reign to get as long a lead as he wants. Uh, and that's also led to an uptick in stolen bases. So let's dig into the numbers here, here real quick. Uh, at high A, it's funny how consistent the caught stealing rate has been at high A through the last three minor league seasons we have, 2019, 2018, 2017, it's always been around 32.8%. This year it's at 20.9. There could be some other you know, things at play here. Um, there could be rustiness from catchers and pitchers working against uh, base runners. You, know, you can throw in, in the lab as they call it. You can um, you know, pitch your bullpens in a pandemic year, but you're not gonna know what it's gonna like to throw with runners on base until you really do that. That could be in the uh, in play here. But the fact that we know these new rules are in place, that is a big factor here for sure. And we're seeing more stolen bases attempted. It's not just that they're being successful. It's that they're being more attempted. So in 2019, there were roughly 1.2 stolen base attempts per game by each team. Now that's up to 1.8. That's a jump of 50%. So we're seeing roughly 50% more stolen bases attempted by each team every game. Um, so that's kind of crazy. Low A, again, with the pickoff limits, um, we're seeing similar jumps. The it was around the caught ceiling rate was around 32% the last three years. Now it's at 17.3. So it's almost cut in half at that level. Uh, and stolen base attempts jumped from 1.2 in 2019 to 1.7. Uh, which is kind of crazy. We're not seeing similar jumps at double A, um, which is kind of the control of this. One of the reasons why each level has different rules is to isolate what works and what doesn't. Um, so if we're looking for more, more stolen bases, these new rules at high A and low A definitely seem to be working. Uh, we're seeing a slight uptick at triple A. Uh, stolen base attempts have gone from 0.9 to 1.07. Uh, part of that could be because there are larger bases there now and they're also stickier. Uh, no more of this potentially sliding off the base and causing it out that way. That could allow teams to be a little bit more aggressive, but it's much more modest than we're seeing at the two lower levels. So again, this is through two weeks. It's a, it's a fairly small sample, but the fact that we knew these rule changes were coming in 
with these goals of increasing stolen bases in mind, and they're already producing this level of results, is promising for what Major League Baseball was trying to do with these rules. And we'll see if this these trends continue over a larger sample and if it means further rule changes could come to other levels. And we eventually get, get to, like you were saying, Tyler, that pendulum, get back to a time in which we're seeing guys steal 50, 60, 70 bases a year a lot more normally than we are today. Strike two this week is about a guy who we had never seen at the AAA level before and who is just absolutely decimating the AAA level, and that is the Seattle Mariners' number six prospect, Taylor Trammell, who is 14 for his first 22 with four home runs uh, in AAA since being optioned there by the Mariners last week. Uh, Taylor Trammell started the season at the major league level, just couldn't find his footing offensively. The Mariners sent him down with kind of an emphasis on figuring out uh, how he can regularly handle off-speed stuff. He has been absurd. Now, all of those games have taken place at Salt Lake with the new format six-game series. Taylor Trammell told me last night he loves that. He loves uh, being able to stay in a place for longer rather than just three, four days packing up, hitting the road to, to go somewhere else. Um, but this has been a very impressive week for a guy who really could have taken this opportunity and, you know, kind of felt bad for himself starting the season in the majors and then being back down in the minors. Taylor Trammell has really taken it and run with it. Yeah, and, and this has been really fun just because Taylor Trammell is, is such an infectious personality. He's great for the game. He's great to watch when he is hitting on all cylinders. And like you said, Tyler, he, he wasn't really doing that earlier on. He was striking out a lot, 43.2% of his plate appearances at the major league level. That's down to 12% now. So he is making more contact, again, in smaller samples, but he had four homers in the majors, over 95 plate appearances. He's got four homers now and 25 plate appearances. Salt Lake is a great place to play. It's a great place to hit. So I'll be interested to see what happens when he gets away from that park uh, in the days ahead. But Taylor, uh, Tyler, you've actually talked to him multiple times in the last week. What stood out to you other than what you were saying about the six game series, like what's allowed him to turn things around and really stay upbeat when, like you said, it was, it was clear he was getting squeezed out of the outfield core there in Seattle, but could certainly be playing his way back in. Yeah. I mean, the thing that he said to me, the very first answer to a question last week is that he was just having fun. It was after his first game back at AAA, he said, I just came down and had fun. And that obviously is a big point of emphasis for him is to not kind of lose sight of that in the in the big picture of everything um you still got to be able to go out and enjoy what you do uh demotion being sent down to the minor leagues after starting the season in the majors a lot of guys would take that and and make it into um kind of a thing that they mope with and taylor Trammell is the opposite of that he used it as as fuel to try to prove himself day to day at the ballpark i think right now um what is so interesting about where taylor is uh is that he has never been tested at the AAA level before. And, you know, we had a dude jump into, into my mentions uh, after the first story that I wrote, calling him the, the ultimate quad A player. Taylor Trammell had literally never played a AAA game before last week. Taylor Trammell jumped straight from AA to the major league. So that's about as dumb a take as possible. Um, but this is a guy who, you know, he's still extremely young. Uh, and to be in a spot where you are leaping over the minor leagues highest level um, after spending time at double a, you know, a couple years ago being a postseason hero when he was in the San Diego organization with Amarillo and the Texas league um, back in 2019 did get time at the alternate site last year. Um, and being in a spot where you are, 
are part of a group that's coming up and is so talented uh, in just the outfield ranks alone. Tramel obviously with Jared Kelenic and with Julio Rodriguez also in that system. Um, there are so many ways where I think you could feel overwhelmed and you could feel like it's time to press. Taylor Trammell hasn't done any of that. He's, he's 23 um, going down to triple a he's had a multi-hit performance every single game so far uh, last night. And we're recording this on, on Tuesday, last night, he had a homer and two doubles drove in five. Uh, it just seems like he's very comfortably adjusting. And I asked him specifically two things. One, when was the last time you felt like you were hitting this well uh, and, you know, seemingly going to the plate every time thinking that you can't be retired. And he said, spring training at the end of spring training this year, he felt like it was, it was going this well. Uh, and then he said before that, it was probably in high school uh, where he <laughs> said there was a time when he went to the plate and he thought, I really can't get out right now. Um, and secondly, I asked him about handling off-speed pitches because that was what he told me in our first conversation last week was what the Mariners communicated to him. I said, how do you feel like it's going so far? And he just laughed and said, it's going well, I'm hitting them. Uh, so it, it feels like Taylor Trammell is adjusting to the things that the Mariners have requested of him. And the numbers, obviously, I mean, are just ridiculous right now. What is going to be interesting is uh, they will play the series finale of that set with Salt Lake today. They're off tomorrow. And then on Friday, they open up a homestand uh, against Round – or on Thursday, they open up a homestand against Round Rock. Um, when you go home to Tacoma, it's a much less offensively friendly park pitchers see more of what you are adjusting to and what you're doing at the AAA level, how they are going to try to acclimate uh, to what Taylor Trammell's successes have come from. That'll be interesting when that swing back period kind of comes uh, as far as how pitchers adjust to him, but it has been very impressive to see him doing what he's doing. And uh, you know, if I'm a Mariners fan and you got Jared Kellenick up there now, and if this is what Taylor Trammell is going to turn himself into, obviously he's not going to be a 620 hitter uh, for the entirety of his time in the major leagues or in AAA, but with that, Julio Rodriguez is going to be taking part in the Olympic qualifier coming up later on this month and into June. Uh, it is a very exciting time, and Taylor Trammell being sent down to, to AAA has not done anything to diminish that. If anything, I think it's been more encouraging. Yeah, no, for sure. And um, it's funny to hear you say that because he might be like the best futures game hitter I've seen. Uh, I think that's the thing that constantly – and I don't mean that in terms of like he's the best hitter to ever play in a futures game, but his performance on that level – always told me something like it, yeah. it is you come from the minor leagues you come from smaller stadiums you come from places without a second or third deck uh and you get thrust on the stage and he won mvp one year almost won mvp the next year uh, attempted a stolen base of, of home in that one as well this is a guy who's made for the big stage and, and it was obviously disappointing to see him get off to that rough start because i thought he did play so well in spring training um, but once the book is out on you and, and Tyler, you mentioned the off-speed stuff, like once major league pitchers knew he had, he could struggle with that, then, you know, that he needed to find that confidence again, triple A. And the fact that he's doing that so quickly is uh, certainly encouraging and uh, will certainly be interesting as well, just to see what he's going to do. Like you said, it in that return to Tacoma and what happens when he's out of Salt Lake, but wouldn't it be great for Seattle if they, if, Come August and September, they're really sitting around with Kyle Lewis and Jared Kelnick and Taylor Trammell. And yeah, Kyle Lewis Rodriguez. I didn't even mention. Right. Julio Rodriguez knocking on the door. Mitch Hanniger's back. Um, if they have to sift through that going into the offseason, which we already expect but to, be, to be a big one for them. Um, if they have too many outfielders on their hands, then M's fans, you're in for a good ride. 
Strike three this week. We are a couple of weeks now into the minor league season, and uh, we talk a lot about impressive prospect starts. Sam, what about impressive team starts? I know early on we kind of all picked teams that we had our eye on to start the season in our uh, our season preview episode, but what are the teams that are standing out to you so far? Yeah, so uh, one was actually number two on my list of most loaded teams for prospects uh, coming into the year, so it's certainly been great to see them get off to such a good start. Staying in the Seattle organization, it's the Everett Aquasocks. Um, they are currently 10 and two, and it's, you know, any team could potentially go 10 and two. It's, it's not very easy, but 12 game sample, not going to get too wrapped up in that. But the fact that they are such a loaded team and, and the guys who we expected to take off are taking off Julio Rodriguez after a little bit of a slow start has caught fire the last week. He's batting 353 now. He's got a 441 OBP, 784 slugging homered in I think as many as four straight games at, at one point uh, he's got five homers now in 12 games I thought it wasn't really an aggressive assignment for them to send him to high a high a is where he ended 2019 I know he had some injury issues didn't look all that great in the Dominican Winter League but still this guy's too talented probably to start out 2021 where he ended 2019 he's certainly proving that now I know even Scott Service has said like yeah we're keeping an eye on him for a potential debut maybe at some point this summer. So maybe he climbs four levels. Maybe he's not at high A for very long. The way he's punishing the ball right now, he certainly shouldn't be. Uh, but on the pitching side, Emerson Hancock has been kind of limited. He's only thrown four and two-thirds innings through two starts, but he's got seven strikeouts in that time. George Kirby looking like his normal self, only walking one and eight and two-thirds innings, but also striking out 12. Um, you know, some of their other they're carrying multiple starting pitchers. They're starting to piggyback some guys. I think they have as many as seven guys who have made starts so far. Uh, this is a team you're going to want to keep your eye on regardless, but the fact that they have been so successful on the field with this 10 and two start uh, is, is huge. And I know Jordan Susterman of Cespedes barbecue fame uh, continually says that this team is going to go 118 and two. It's not going to happen, but what they've been doing so far, like I can't really doubt them. Uh, so it, it'll be fascinating to see what they can do in the coming weeks as more high A West teams get to face them and they face other teams in these six game series. But Tyler, it, as you're following this stuff every night, has there been any team you feel like you're gravitating towards or writing about constantly? We talked about Tacoma with Jamal, but anybody else? Yeah, I mean, the the Durham Bulls we talked about at the start of the season being a, a squad that had so many interesting guys. And, um, you know, from the standpoint of just straight prospect um, focus, obviously there's a, a lot there with Durham, you know, could have only been because of Wander Franco. Um, but the fact that he's got other guys on that roster who are um, – you know, Vidal Bruhan is probably the one who stands out most, who's got a 1088 OPS through his first 12 games this season. Um, that team is still just from night to night. You just feel like something is going to happen with uh, that Durham team. And, um, you know, it's so strange early on in the season because we get these rosters that are contained in the the opening day press release and in the hype out of the start of the season and all of that. We never really know how long – those players are all going to be in one spot. Um, and so it's cool when prospect groups get to stay together for a little while, because, you know, you could find yourself in a circumstance where, Oh, look at all these guys who are loaded up on this one roster. And then there's one injury at the major league level five days into the season. And all of a sudden the prospect group is completely different. Um, so it's uh, it's been cool to see how some of these groups have stuck together in the early going so far this year. And uh, that Durham team, I just uh, night tonight, you look at that lineup up and down and it's uh, there's a lot of fun 
on that Durham squad. So um, that'll do it for three strikes for this week's episode of the show before the show. We'll be back to wrap it up with our Milv TV picks of the week coming up next. interrupt this podcast to bring you another thrilling edition of Ghosts of the Miners. Now, here's your correspondent and host, Joshua Jackson. Welcome back to Ghosts of the Miners, in which all of you out there in Radioland must identify the legitimate historical ball club hiding amidst a fraudulent pair. One is real, the others are faking defunct. In last week's segment, I asked you which of the following minor league baseball teams did, at one time, exist. A. The Beatrice Milk Skimmers. B. The Champlain Wind Jammers. C. The Lake Arson Scorchers. The answer, obviously, was A. The Beatrice Milk Skimmers. In 1912, the Beatrice Milk Skimmers began in the Mink League. That's Missouri, Iowa, Nebraska, Kansas League to the economically uninclined. They later played in the Nebraska State League for a couple seasons, beginning, like the Woodrow Wilson administration, a few months into the action of 1913. Unlike Woodrow Wilson, the Milk Skimmers were the pride of Gage County, of which Beatrice is the county seat. They had an utterly good time at the ball yard, playing in the derriere until the cows came home, running right past your eyes into the dugout after beefing up their lead. 1915 was an especially frothy year, as the milk skimmers staked their claim as the best of the Nebraska State League with a 38-18 record after 56 games. They beat upon the Norfolk Drummers, stampeded the Kearney Buffaloes, tippled the York Prohibitionists, and hastened to the demise of the Hastings Reds. But then things curdled, and the Nebraska State League overstayed its sell-by date, shutting down on July 18. The Lincoln Sunday Star ran a headline in a font most forlorn. Beatrice Club is to be disbanded. But there was hope. The article noted that nearly every single Beatrice baseballer had received an offer to play elsewhere. That included Milk Skipper Skimmer, I'm sorry, that's Milk Skimmer Skipper Jack Philman, who got his fill of the old ball game in gay old Paris. Paris, Texas, that is, where he caught on with the Paris Red Snappers and made out quite swimmingly. And that, dear listeners, is the cream on the Milk Skimmers. Drink up, and now let's move on! <laughs> Which of the following was the real upper crust of the lower miners in the first decade of the 20th century? A. The Goldsboro Posh Steppers. B. The Calumet Aristocrats. C. The Madison Millionaires. Guess rich or die trying. Better yet, tune into next week's edition of Ghosts of the Miners for the answer. But for now, you'll have to excuse me. My producer Ben Hill is on his way to Niagara Falls, and his barrel is missing a key slap. <laughs> Wrapping up this week's episode of the show before the show, MILB.TV is your place to catch all of the best and brightest across minor league baseball. Sam, what are you watching this week? Yeah, so this one um, is going to be a pitching matchup. Well, not necessarily a matchup, but just one starter that I want you all to see at some point while you have the opportunity, and that's Hunter Green. Um, 
with the Chattanooga Lookouts. Hunter Green, coming off a week in which he was named the uh, AA South Player of the Week, uh, he had 11 innings pitch, struck out 17 at a 1.64 ERA. Does what he does best, which is pump multiple 100-mile-an-hour fastballs past guys. I think he's been up to 103 at times, but the most promising thing is that he's also throwing an improved breaking ball uh, with his slider, so that's been huge. Uh, it's just it's really cool to watch somebody do this as well as he does. Um, and, again, just flash that plus velocity. It, it's getting – to be the point where he's throwing or he's becoming like must watch MILB TV whenever he pitches. So I don't know exactly what he's lining up to pitch right now. Uh, he last pitched on the 16th. He's been going every five or six days. Um, so that might line him up for about the 21st against Mississippi. Um, but when Hunter Green takes them out, you're going to want to watch. You're going to want to see what 102, 103 looks like on TV before he makes the majors. And especially keep an eye on that slider and if he's getting swings and misses on that it's going to be deadly stuff he's got eight strikeouts seven strikeouts and 10 strikeouts in his last three outings and if he's getting even more comfortable we could be seeing 11 or 12 uh here in the next couple weeks or even as early as this week so uh be be sure to keep an eye out for uh the pitching probables for chattanooga and whenever green takes the mound you're going to want to tune in Uh, tyler what do you got your eye on yeah, I am looking at the high A Central League and the top pick in the uh, 2020 draft and Spencer Torkelson, who is now the top prospect in the Detroit Tigers organization. And uh, the reason why Spencer Torkelson sticks out to me is the overall numbers don't look great right now. He's got a 146 average and a 492 OPS, but He's also reaching at a 321 rate, which if you are batting 146 and your on-base percentage is almost 200 points higher than that, you're seeing the ball pretty well. I feel like at some point Spencer Torkelson is going to start to break out. Remember, this is the first time uh, in pro ball for this guy. Uh, last year got time, obviously, at the alt site and um, played an abbreviated college season at Arizona State. But at some point, Spencer Torkelson is going to get this figured out. He and his West Michigan Whitecaps will be on the road uh, taking on the Wisconsin Timber Rattlers this weekend. Garrett Mitchell, friend of the podcast, uh, has been out of action for the last couple of weeks with a strained muscle behind his left knee, uh, could return at some point soon, the top Brewers prospect. I'm not sure exactly as to his timeline. I know there was a report that the Brewers don't consider it to be a, a huge issue or a huge setback for him. So it'd be really cool to see those two guys on the field at the same time uh, if that transpires this weekend or later on this season. But that's uh, what I'm tuned into this week on MILB TV. And it's just great to get a chance to talk about MILB TV games again, which I did not forget for our final segment of this week's episode. Yeah, and it's been fun to watch the highlights come in too. Like One thing we should highlight is that MILB.com uh, at the end of every night or beginning of every morning, whenever you want to check in on what happened uh, the previous day, there are highlights at the bottom of the page that are usually top prospect focused. Um, any top 100 prospect homers, we usually have a clip of that. Uh, if, so, if a top 100 pitching prospect has a really strong performance, we'll have a clip of a strikeout. If there's a wacky play that happens, we'll have clips of that as well. Uh, it's just nice to get fresh highlights and, and see all this come uh into play. Tyler, you and I were talking before because you have a story up about Zach Dean on MILB.com right now. Uh, Zach Dean straight stole home, yeah. uh, which part of that was the pickoff rules we were talking about at low A before. He got a great jump. We've got a great video of that. You can see him going. Um, you can see the panic in the pitcher and the catcher as they see him barreling towards home. Um, just to have all the 
this access to this stuff again, instead of getting reports from alternate sites and instructs and all that, it, it's just a joy. So we have our picks and what you should watch, but anything you're going to pick is, good, is great. I am in full agreement and uh, it's good to have those games back. So we will wrap up this week's episode of the show before the show. You can get in touch with us podcast at MILB.com. You can find us on Twitter. He's at Sam Dykstra, MILB. I am at Tyler Mon. And uh, for Sam, I'm Tyler. We'll talk to you next week. 